Welcome back. Um, we have ABC for Yoga and Health, and this time we're going to be talking about recreational drug, so the R alphabet. Um, so yeah, we are going to be sharing these to um, social medias. We're going to be sharing these onto the podcast and YouTube from now on. So as always, we want your input, but also kind of a little bit of disclaimer, um, whatever you share tonight or you know, any time in the comments, sometimes these may get shown into the social media platforms. But at the same time, we want you to share about us on your social media, if that is okay, um, just to kind of put the words out there for us, showing people what we are doing here. And hopefully more people get to join into these evenings or watch the replay on YouTube or listen to podcasts. Um, so yeah, um, my name is Stanford, and we're going to go ahead to talk about recreational drugs. Colin, why do we pick recreational drugs? Well, I think that there is um, almost a, a, a mass acceptance um, of recreational drugs within various different communities. And I, I want to challenge that. I want to challenge the reasons why we're taking drugs, what we're doing with drugs, why we're involved with drugs, why we're finding that it's more acceptable to take drugs. I want to look at yoga and drugs um are they compatible do they actually go together can a yoga teacher take drugs and be a good yoga teacher I, i'm just going to ask these questions um i don't want to come to a judgment I, I want to sort of go are we in favor of it or not in favor of it i want to sort of present numbers of different ideas and then let you make your own decision about this um i don't want to start off with kind of going hey kids drugs are bad um i think you know, I grew up with that message and I, I, you know, I'd like to kind of investigate it more and just see where it leads us. Yep. And I think one of the first questions to answer is what is recreational drugs, uh, which is one of the questions that we just got asked. Mm. Um, as a son of a chemist, I, my belief or the definition I, I was given is that drug is basically anything that we take into our body um, that creates an effect. So essentially anything we take at all even including water and food itself can be constituted as drug and it all depends on dosage so like let's say water again you know if you take too much of it you can actually get water poisoning it is possible it happens um rarely but it happens so there are a lot a lot of things that is can be considered as drugs but i think modern day definition really kind of just think about prescription drugs or recreational drugs illicit drugs um, rather than anything else. If you consider the definition of addiction uh, relating to drugs, actually expand it ever so slightly because actually it doesn't only just including illicit and recreational drugs, it also sometimes include things like um, sugar, which is a food group, carbohydrates. Sometimes it also includes things like a behavior, which is like gambling. Some people say sex pornography, work, workaholic. So there are actually lots and lots of things that really affect organism and how, like kind of internal effects, one we do when we ingest it. Um, but I think for tonight, we're probably going to stick to mainly recreational drugs, the things that we can take in. And the other part of the definition is recreational. Uh, it I looked it up. It means that any activity that one does where for enjoyment while the person is not working. So this is kind of outside of the context of essential drugs, um, that things that they needed in order to perform. So I think, again, once once again, it kind of rules out anything that's prescriptions um, for certain pathology and things like that. Um, but the interesting thing is kind of what does that rules in? Because we know what illicit drugs mean. It means anything that's legally not allowed is kind of our bound. But what does it actually really include into recreational drugs? Colin, do you have a... Any fun well, what I really like is I like what you just said, because almost it means that what's happening is that the idea of recreational drugs or drugs has changed and has changed quite substantially over time. If I look at um, when we study Ayurveda, we, we looked at the Ayurvedic texts. We believe it or not, something like garlic is a powerful drug, a really, really powerful drug, honey, powerful drug. But actually, they're very mainstream. I mean, you look at me now and you just you, you kind of go, well, you would cook. Wouldn't you cook without, you know, without garlic? And for me, this is an interesting thing, because it means that what we're presenting right now is very, very different from how things have evolved over a long period of time. And so back when 
a lot of the Ayurvedic texts were written and put together, you've got garlic, you've got honey, you've got different drugs that were used and described for different purposes, situations, and to create different outcomes. So the way that they were working with drugs was very, very specific to alter a chemical makeup in something. So it kind of agrees with exactly what you were saying as a, as a son of a chemist. So that's why I kind of, I, I, I like, I'm gonna, that's why I'm gonna call you from now on, Stanford, son of chemist. I love um, that title. Um, it, so I, I kind of, I think this is the first distinction is that actually things have changed a lot hugely changed and I think that we also need to be open to the fact that things have changed as well um so for me uh drugs fall into di different areas one is the ritual use of drugs um so there's a, a, a an understanding within tradition that if you're taking any kind of drug which is there to change something within you it's based on a ritual now this ritual and how you're working with the ritual means that actually there needs to quite often be a point of stability first and a goal that you're putting in place and a, almost a setup, a preparation. And remember what a ritual is. A ritual is the ability to transition or to create a situation to transition from one point to another point. So you're putting in place a chemical which helps you to do, create this transition. So You've got ritual drug use. You've also got this idea, and I'm coming across this quite a bit with people that I'm working with called, with, with regard to microdosing. So the capacity to take very small quantities of drugs um, on a regular basis. Then we have sort of what I would call binge use of drugs. So you've got this binge use of different chemicals and different drugs, maybe at the weekends, um, maybe to wind down, maybe to do various other things. And then you've also got addiction. So for me, there's kind of like a big sort of expanse that I kind of look at within this. And so purpose, I think, becomes very important. And understanding the purpose of why, what reasons, whether those are genuine reasons or whether someone's actually creating different excuses in order to work with drugs. I mean, that would be my first sort of to break this out firstly i agree with you on the drugs and the evolution of that but also i think that there's numbers of different purposes that we need to look at um and so for me why becomes an important question why do people take recreational drugs for what purpose do they do it what reasons do they start to give you for it how do they justify the use does the why serve the purpose and does it give the right outcome for what they're using it for and these will be my questions here. Hmm. And I, I'm going to take it a little bit back to where you talk about what yeah. constitutes drug first, because I think what was interesting is in the Western side of um, medicine, healthcare, we classify drugs typically by stimulants, depressants, and hallucinogen. But mm. there's, as you said, it, it constantly keeps evolving because right now we have something called the legal high as well, which is they took kind of like a compound, one of the drug compounds, chemically just change it a little bit. So let's just say we have caffeine, which I think most of us have tried before or currently on. Then they change a little bit because the legal definition of illicit drug is so strict. It has to be exact formulary and exact kind mm -hmm. of biochemical makeup. Um, once there's a one or two chemical change, it's completely legal again. But actually, in fact, when you take it into your body, it's created exact or almost the identical effect. So the problem is then there are now these class of new drugs that kind of give you the similar symptoms, give you similar effects that people can just buy off the counter more or less. And mm -hmm. I think that is also an issue where the access of drugs become a lot more commonplace nowadays as well. And especially in the party, party scene, certain um, kind of minority group or majority group um, within different city settings. And I think that is something to think about before we expand into why people take drugs, because it's just the availability of drugs is 
so much bigger nowadays. Um, the other thing that I was going to pick up is you talk about stability um, in a ritual that you need stability before you take the drugs because then it serves the purpose of you taking drug. At least that's how I inter interpreted it. Yeah. And I think that is very, very interesting because we actually see a lot of people with mental health issues or disorder taking drugs. Again, I work, used to work in the addiction service for the last six months. I recently kind of switched jobs um, just because of how my job is scheduled is not because of any other reasons. Um, and we actually see a quite a large amount of mental health issues, sometimes personality disorder, sometimes associated with anxiety, sometimes associated with, um, say, depression, schizophrenia. We don't always know exactly if the drug use is a symptom of the cause. Um, so let's say um, there are some school of thought saying that schizophrenia um, or schizophrenic patients like to take certain kind of drugs like cannabis because it kind of chills them out. It kind of relaxes them. So it actually makes it easy for them to combat the um, psychotic symptoms or the delusion. But then at the same time, there's some suggestion that they actually cause the delusion and the psychosis as well. So sometimes the cause and effect, we're not entirely sure, but I definitely have seen, and it's definitely a known fact, that mental health and drug use are quite intricately linked. And that really asks the question, do people use drugs when they are from a very stable place? Or are they more inclined to use drugs when they are unstable? I think it's a brilliant question. Um, firstly, let me pick up on let's say something like cannabis. If you look in Ayurvedic preparation texts with regard to cannabis, actually it's not smoked. It's not cooked. It's prepared in something like milk. So they're very careful in the way that they actually come to use it. And it's used for a reason. So it's used, believe it or not, for aching of joints. And so when you actually look at something like a, a drug like cannabis, it's used in this way. If we look at how we currently use it today to relax, to chill out, to connect with people, to bond with people, to bring us together so we've got a common like-minded way of working, we start to understand a bit more about this type of thing, why we actually come to use drugs. And I think that links very strongly to mental health. And I think it's very different to the rituals of taking drugs to get different insights into things so when i was training we looked at drug taking as a search for spirituality this is one of the reasons that actually you came to do it because you would take drugs because you'd have a different perspective a different insight into the world and into yourself remember you've only got two relationships you've got a relationship with the world and you've got a relationship with yourself and in order to change your perception you could take a drug now According to yoga, yoga is very interesting. In chapter four of Yoga Sutra, the opening of chapter four of Yoga Sutra, four one, says there are several different ways to actually get a deep connection, deep insight into various different things. One is you can get all of this by meditation and through meditation. And I know what you're about to say. You mean you can get the same high through meditation? The answer is yes. It's very, very interesting. So you can get it through meditation. And this, by doing it through meditation, it leaves a permanent change within the system. So what this means is that actually there isn't a comeback from this. You actually leave, you, you go on a journey with a meditative practice and you get left with a change. Now, with a drug, you get a different perspective. However, your perspective shifts back again off the effects of the drug wear off. And so they also say you can work with mantra or you can be born with an ability to do something. So they give numbers of different routes for you to have or to acquire this kind of perceptions or insights. And the difficulty within drugs is that by use of a drug, yes, you get this insight, you get to touch something and then it disappears. So this is one of the first reasons. So when we were looking at addiction, when we were looking at people, how why people are working, you know, doing this or taking these things, we came to look at this. We're also looking at um, 
their capacity to connect. And remember, yoga is about linking, about connecting. And what a drug does is it gives, and a recreational drug is it gives two people the capacity to connect with one another. Because if we both take the same drug, it gives us the capacity, no matter our viewpoint, it gives us the capacity to connect. So we roll a joint, we do a spliff, we take some lines, we do various different things. We become, we have a kind of almost a bonding moment where we bond over this thing and we connect at the same level with this. So there becomes a whole ritual around this. So you've got this connection with others. It actually holds friends together. It holds couples together. Yeah. I mean, this is pretty serious. It holds couples together. Okay. It, it, it gives a commonality. It gives an even connection between people. So in fact, our striving and our wanting to connect and to connect with others and to get an insight with other people, you know, that moment where people look at each other and go, I love you, man. And the other person goes, I love you too. You're the greatest thing ever. I, you know, you're the greatest thing ever. No, I said it first. No, I said it. Jeez, I remember this thing the whole of my life. Yeah. And they stayed up all night and they put the world to rights. And in the morning, they didn't know what happened. Okay, but they knew they had a good night, but they couldn't remember it. Meditation is completely the opposite. You remember in the morning. So for me, there's this kind of, there's this sort of connectivity that goes on. There's this sort of thing that I see a lot of within drug taking. How do we get to the right level? How do we get to a level with someone? How do we adapt our level to someone else's level? And then we've also got this other idea, which is that it becomes a mechanism, a mechanism for us to distract ourselves, to actually distract ourselves from what's going on in life. You know, if I take drugs recreationally, if I microdose, if I start to do experimental drugs, I start to distract. And I use distractions to maybe suppress emotions, to avoid looking at something, to even to deal with an emotion. Or I use it to numb myself, because actually what happens is that I have certain feelings and I don't want to face those feelings so it's better that I numb myself so that I'm not scared and I don't feel afraid and quite often you've also got the fuck it mentality now the fuck it mentality is like dude what are you talking about to live for today you know enjoy life I mean come on why are you behaving and talking this way just just enjoy yourself okay it's not it's not gonna kill you just 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 Get out there and just enjoy life. So I tend to see lots of different reasons from the material connection, the highs, the spirituality, all of these different ways that we come to use drugs recreationally to get different effects, to enjoy life, to transcend our mundane experience of life, to give us a way of connecting with other beings and human beings. And my question is, is it wrong? You know, is it wrong? Well, that was, that was my question wasn't exactly, is it wrong? But I kind of also ponder, hmm. so if you use drug in a spiritual sense, does it keep it as recreational or does it actually give it a certain different purpose because um someone that i know asked me this question on my social media handle and was saying does taking mushroom for spiritual journeys combating mental health issues such as depression also in process of having experience enlightenment wisdom and breaking out of being stuck in a rut constitute recreational drug taking i was thinking well if you think achieving wisdoms kind of enlightenment is is a path that you want to gain in your in your spiritual journey then in some way does that still count as enjoyment I, I I'm not sure and I'm not sure rather it makes it right or wrong either mm. what I find very fascinating when you talk about how it connects people actually because it wasn't as big as like people having drugs party or anything but it's actually 
as simple as people, just, you know, the people I see outside the buildings just taking cigarettes on their break time, and you see they're just chatting very, very happily. Was in the workplace, they probably don't even talk to each other, or let alone looking at each other, kind of thing. Or you know, dinner party where wines and drinks and beers and alcohol just free flowing, and it kind of does gel people in together much nicer or much more smoothly, and does improve their connectivity. But at the same time, I kind of see, because again, from, from the background of where I worked, it kind of unleashes things as well. There are people who, it kind of, it kind of almost like a bit, I would describe it as an engineer where it's smoothings over, but there are people who are suppress, suppressor, suppress a lot of things internally, and then they actually unleash a lot of things and it actually creates a lot of conflicts. Um, and that that is one of the things, or at least a few of the things that I have to deal with as, as a clinician who used to work in an addiction service. And that I would say is a problem with recreational drug use, because sometimes you do fall into these um, state without meaning to, because sometimes ultimately you don't exactly know what you're getting. That's the other problem as well. You know, with a prescribed drug, if you've been prescribed something from a reputable pharmacy hopefully you know exact dosage and medication that you've been getting some of these recreational drugs you don't exactly know what's inside it's very very difficult to tell mm. um and you've, i think yep go yeah, ahead you've, you've touched on three things here one's the spirituality aspect which i kind of i really want to pick up on because i think that's really important um the second is that to unleash something and actually how the if we look at the way that we suppress things or how we suppress things and how we normally process things, what we do is by putting something into us, we change a boundary. We actually change a boundary and actually that allows things to move. And so it can unleash unbelievable things. And then I like the way you say you don't know what you're getting sometimes as well, because we don't know the effects of what we're doing. You know, why is it that something relaxed us, but then suddenly it makes us very anxious and very paranoid? You know, in one state, it relaxed us, but now we just become paranoid, but we didn't know why we became anxious and paranoid because of it. Can I ask a question? Because I give the categories of recreational drugs from the Western sense, which is stimulants, depressant, hallucinogen. Again, mm -hmm. I've been reading books from my weird and wonderful library again, and um, I read somewhere in an Ayurvedic cookbook that describes a lot of these drugs that we have on the market um, as under the space element. Do you have anything to say or that is not described in a lot of the other texts? What's the, what's the quality of space? The quality of space is to something expands and it contracts. That's the only thing that happens within space. And if you think about our emotions, what happens with our emotions at a very deep level, they expand and they contract. So the purpose of a drug is to expand and contract space. It works on this, this level. Now, interesting enough, traditionally, there are two different paths you can take. I talked about stability, first of all. And in order to get stability, we've got a couple of options. We either get stability inside ourselves or we get stability by reference point outside of ourselves. Okay, so these are two options. We're either one or the other. Now, quite often, we create a mix of both of those. We have stability inside of ourselves and partly outside of ourselves. And then we kind of deal with some inside and outside issues to sort of, and we become unstable. Now, with drug taking, there are two pathways. The first pathway is there is just say no to drugs, kids. So there's a meditation route. It's where actually you're looking to provide or create internal stability within yourself so that you're stable enough to deal with the external chaos that is in the world. So what this means is that you are going on a journey to refine your relationship with not knowing, refine your relationship with your ego, refine your relationship with your desires, your attachments, your aversions and your fears. And you're getting to a point where actually what's happening is that you create inner stability so that you can move, change and adapt 
So that's move, change and adapt to internally to maintain your stability because everything is chaotic outside of you. This is one directional pathway. This is actually prevent, this is presented in the kind of the normal sort of flow of yoga. Okay, so this is you know, yoga's normal traditional approach from yoga texts. This is the approach. And this approach uses things like spirituality, meditation techniques, mantras, asana, diet, or breathing techniques, all of this in order to refine so that actually you can be stable within yourself. I think this is beautiful. This is the right-hand pathway. The left-hand pathway is something very different. It's a very, very different approach. It means that you use chaos in order to engage with chaos. It means you get yourself to a point where the movement within you is so chaotic that it meets the movement outside of you that is chaotic. And you bond these two chaoses together to provide stability. This is the left-hand path. It's where you use drugs, you use alcohol, you use different chemicals in order to test your perception on reality. They're two very different pathways. They don't cross. They don't come together. And the problem that I see a lot of is that we're trying to combine these two pathways together. You know, we kind of, we want to have an ascetic lifestyle. Okay, well, of course they take hashish, you know, in ascetics take hashish and they do bongs and they say boom shiva and they do these other bits and pieces. It must be okay for me to do it. I'm a yogi. So I ask a number of questions. I start to say, well, do you live in society or in ascetic and you stepped out of society? You know, are you on this on a long-term journey and pathway? Do you have any responsibilities? You know? Are you in a stable place? Is it providing more stability for you? Or is it actually providing inertia and stopping you from emotionally processing, dealing with issues? And so what we find is that people try and pick and choose between different pathways and different approaches in order to create the justification that they're going the right way. And when you understand the philosophies a bit more, it becomes quite entertaining. I think I've told you this story before about this. I was at this um, yoga party once. And a yoga party is when it's not like a toga party. It's a slightly different thing. It's um, and it's not where people come in different sort of tight. I know they don't come in tight outfits. Um, it was where a group of um, yoga professionals came together, and they all came together. And um, as you know, I was very new at that stage back then. It was about twenty years ago. I remember there was this guy there that I really sort of admired a lot, and um, he was he was smoking a really big joint. I was really surprised and I went up to him and I was, she's like, yeah, do you want some? I was, like, no, no, no. I was very pure, very, 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 very fixed and rigid back then. I was like, oh no, Yogi doesn't do that. Um, so I very sort of, and, and, and he said to me, he goes, I can see you judging me, man. I was like, oh, I'm not judging you. I was lying. I promise you I was lying. I was like, bloody hell, <laughs> he's doing drugs. Judging him so hard. <laughs> yeah, and he's he's looking at me, just kind of going, dude, you just don't understand. And I'm like, well, just explain to me. And he's like, he looked at me and he said, you know, he said, it's, it's not me. It's not me that likes to smoke. He said, it's this body that likes to smoke. So, you know, I just indulge the body. And I was like, so you're looking after yourself? He goes, yeah. So... I've seen and heard many, many things. And for me, it's all to do with the outcome. Because one of the purposes in life, I think, is to evolve, you know, is to change. It's not to repeat the same patterns we've always been repeating. It's to have a better relationship with yourself and a better relationship with the world, you know? The biggest promise that you get in yoga is that actually you can be free and comfortable in yourself, which means actually the byproduct is happiness. And also you can have better clarity and judgment in your interactions out into the world. So these for me are two promises. So if these two promises are happening, it means that our relationships are getting better. And it means that our recreational drug 
dosing or the way that we're working with drugs should actually be there to break through patterns and help us. But the majority, and I have not met anyone to date who has been able to change their patterns through taking drug taking, through taking drugs. Okay, I'm just going to be, sorry, Stanford, I'm just going to say that I haven't met anyone today, and I'd love to meet someone. If someone wants to make contact with me, please do so. Because for me, yoga is all about dealing with your patterns. And as you said, Stanford, at the very beginning, is that you, you have so many people coming into your center, and you were working, I believe, as a psychiatrist in an addiction center, correct? And so you're very, very exposed to these things and you're actually exposed to what happens when people do take drugs. And I'm interested in the excuses that we make because actually our life is full of excuses in order to, well, not to deal with things. Collins on the road tonight. Um, okay, you came you came from a philosophical point of view about this, and I, I think I'm going to come into a slightly different angle, which is the biochemical point of view, which hopefully will answer your question. So I don't think I have to answer of how meditation work, biochemically mm. speaking and medically speaking, but mm. I have a hypothesis through the pathway how drugs works in our brain and or addiction, how addiction kind of worked in our brain, which is by something called the ventral tegmental area which is like a small area that really basically releases dopamine like kind of the happy hormone um somewhere in our midbrain it, it, it associates itself with other areas like hippocampus which um do a lot of things with our memories and medulla which creates a lot of like flashbulb memory and emotive memory as well and also like prefrontal cortex which gave us the executive uh functioning and commanding nucleus accumbens which are kind of like do inhibits these things to regulate what's the right amount essentially all these like loop that is inside our brain is created so that we can feel joy and we can be rewarded um and we know when we're doing the things that it's kind of beneficial to us and we feel happy. So we're more motivated to um, do it again. Because again, we are animals. We are very kind of primitively driven. You know, there's a reason why fruits are colorful and sweet because both things are rewarding. When you see a sharp color, it's pleasing to look at. When it's sweet, you feel that happiness when you taste it. So, you know, animals like bears, dogs, birds, flies, they will actually go to take the fruits and actually help the plants to, you know, procreate. So that is the reason for it. There's a reason behind why certain things are um, kind of reward. The thing is, I think this pathway is completely possible and plausible that you can develop within yourself and by mm -hmm. yourself. And kind of, I would like to think that meditation would be one of those routes. I mean, in science, we already already proven that um, exercise kind of improve, improve your dopamine, things like sexual intercourse, um, certain food, good hugs, um, chocolate. There are things that can help. And I would like to think that meditation probably can, and which is why if you or if myself can actually develop that ability to utilize this loop and pathway then the chain is much harder to be uh, to be hacked or broken afterwards so as colin said once you make the link um with meditation then it's there now but the problem is when you take drugs activate the same pathway so you still get a lot of these dopamine release a lot of these happiness and euphoria that you experience mm. and i would like to actually Propose in slightly different wording, but probably similar theory to what Colin has. From my experience, what I saw, what I've seen is actually a lot of people going for drug taking because they want to be stable and they use it as a mechanism to be stable. Because a lot of the time it is almost guaranteed. If you take cocaine, you're going to be high and ultra focused and really buzzed. If you take MDMA, you're going to be really happy. If you take cannabis, you'll be buzzed out and you'll be chill. If you take alcohol, you're going to get drunk. And if you take a cigarette, you, you know, so on and so forth, you know where my analogy is going to. Mm. So it becomes a stability point where if people have issues establishing their own stability, the drug is a guarantee that they can always come back to it. They can mm. always get there. And it is in some way comforting. And I see this a lot, let's just say, let's take personality disorder as an example, because I, I, I love talking about personality disorder and I see that a lot in my work, where they find the relationship with others tricky at times. I think we've spoken about this before, 
because maybe previous traumas or some sort of genetics or nurturing that they have, um, you know, in their childhood, but whatever it may be, they find relationship with other people difficult because they don't always know exactly how to respond to the other person or to the other things. They find that unpredictability a little bit harder to manage. And they find their own unpredictability of how they will respond also hard to deal with. So the relationship outside is hard, the relationship inside is hard. So what makes it easier is taking drugs. Because, you know, again, if you take it, you will have the effects. It's, it's almost guaranteed. And, and in some way, it kind of weirdly gave you the stability that they crave, and which is why we do see a, a sizable portion um, of addiction patient being ha having um, personality disorder. It is, again, very, very common. And, and I think that... It maybe sounds okay. The problem is one, first of all, the effects actually kind of reduce and diminish over time because our body have this tolerance things, you know, your body's slowly more and more adapted to the effects of the drugs. And actually you crave more and more, you need to use more and more of the same drugs in order to get the effects. Now, any drugs has the effect, which means both good and bad. So it will have side effects. Um, so whilst you get more and more of the effects, you get more and more side effects. The other thing that you're taking more drugs to is actually make your body crave the drug even more. So let's just say you artificially stimulate your body with a lot, a lot of caffeine, like say six cups to seven cups a day, or probably 10 for some of my patients. And then when you, once you come down from the caffeine, you kind of have this crashing experience, which is really, really terrible and can only really be cured, so to speak, by taking more caffeine. So I think then you enter yourself or, you know, ones in to enter themselves a loop that is quite difficult to break because the very things that is causing the problem, you need to take more of in order to get out of the states that you're feeling awful or negative. And I think that is the cycle that I see a lot clinically that is troubling. Sometimes once or twice experimental drugs, which I think most people in their teenage years or their experimental phase probably have experienced, it's probably okay because most people wake up with a massive hangover and you never ever want to touch alcohol again or whatever drug you took the night before or the day before. I think it's once you get into the loop where you're needing more and more and more and you're craving it more and more and more and where your body literally start losing its function, both physically, mentally, socially, even sometimes spiritually, then that is the problem that I think is, the, is with recreational drugs you've highlighted some amazing things uh, one of the things you've confirmed for me is about relationship difficulties and it's the relationship difficulties that i find super interesting often the relationship with oneself and the relationship with the outside world um so i know there's one person that i'm working with at the moment and they need to drink a lot of alcohol before they can go on a date so they would start to prepare for their day and they would drink half a bottle of wine. Then they will go out and they will then drink another bottle of wine. And then they will be ready for their date. And this is a, a cycle or a pattern that keeps happening. So for me, the relationship and how we're having relationships is the crux but also how we process our emotions and why we process or don't process our emotions from what i see with regular recreational drug use there is almost a trap of emotional development that occurs and i don't know whether you can confirm that or not confirm that medically but this is from my observation of working in with numbers of people yoga is very interesting what yoga says is it if you come and you say, look, I need, I want to give up taking, let's say K, yoga will tell you not to focus on giving up K. The biggest problem we have is that when we want to give something up, we focus very intensely on it. So I want to give up taking K. And so you go around to everyone going, look, you know, whatever you do, don't give me any K. I'm trying to give K up at the moment. I want to give K. I don't want to do K. I'm not going to go out and do K. And so you repeat this whole process. And in fact, what yoga is saying is that because of the power of you doing that intensifies the attachment to it. 
And that attachment and that becomes stronger and stronger because your focus on not wanting it is there. Does that make sense, Stanford? It's, it's one of those, it's, it's kind of like the way the mind's working. So yoga is very interesting. What it does is it says, okay, we need to lay down something, a foundation. Whilst we know we want to give up K and taking K, we need to lay down a foundation that we build on very slowly that is stronger and becomes a stronger habit or pattern than the trigger point that occurs for you why you want to go and do the recreational drug. So the art here is beginning to build a foundation of something that's stronger. And it's not as simple as I'll just sit down and do this mantra, I'll do this, I'll do this. It's actually quite a big lifestyle change. And it has to be a stronger pull that is built over a period of time. Because remember, whenever we're in a point of disaster or a point of crisis, we always almost always default back to our original patterns unless we've got the strength of this foundation in place and in which case we can navigate and deal with it so yoga is quite interesting this is chapter one of yoga sutra um, one twelve onwards it's talking about this kind of ideas um and how we come to work to lay down these things now when the triggers are very 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 deep and quite often um, I've come across lots of cases where there's been a lot of abuse early on in life, um, sexual abuse, um, emotional abuse that's occurred early on in life, um, that actually becomes the cause because the person has been involved with an emotional issue later on in life that replicates what's happening early on, They that leads to these kind of issues going on. It means that we need to bridge the gap between the earlier trauma and move forward from the earlier trauma. And this means that we need to lay down a foundation quite deeply with an understanding and awareness of how the triggers are happening for the person. I don't know if that makes any sense. It makes a lot of sense. And I, I know you know this study because we talked about this before, which is the yeah. adverse childhood experiments at the A's. Yeah. Sorry, exposures, I think. Yeah. Uh, experience, sorry, adverse childhood experience, sorry. Um, and it kind of says it's a, it's a big American study done by the CDC, uh, I think back in 60s or 70s. Mm -hmm. And it basically says, you know, it, they classify these experiences like, as you said, abuses, but also slightly people classify a slightly more minor one and more commonplace one like divorce of the parents or someone losing a parent, so on and so forth as um, kind of ACEs or in another word trauma mm -hmm. and it shows that if you if the person has ex been exposed to one they're more likely to be exposed to more than one in their childhood and if they have two or more uh, they are more likely to pick up behaviors like alcoholism drug use smoking later on in life as well as mental health issues physical health issues so I think it, it really rings true of what you have described earlier on which is kind of tra trauma earlier on in life really disrupt this ability to form, I don't want to use the word healthy, but probably more preferable attachment uh, patterns and behaviors later on in life. And I think this goes back um, even a little bit more into biology or came, um, brain chemistry, if we have time, let, let's go into it a little bit, which is, I don't know if most people read this book called Sapien. Um, it basically posts... Um, the the theory where all human beings are born prematurely mm. and again i used to work in obstetric and i can kind of confirm that because human beings are mammals if you look at any other mammals in the world when they birth the baby the, the baby can pretty much straight away start walking start communicating start following guidance to, to take food like a dolphin which is also a mammal start swimming straight away and can start catching fish maybe sometimes they need a little bit of feeding but most of the time they are independent the offsprings are pretty much straight away independent the problem with human birth so to speak is because our brain got so much bigger because we're intelligent it would get stuck in the pelvis and literally cause us like really problematic things like stillbirth or maternal death if we were to born later than 41, 42 gestation week. So ultimately, biology is amazing. So what happens? Babies are born prematurely. So we have a really, really cuddly and often very, very cute, sometimes slightly bloodstained baby born that really not able to fend for itself, not really able to speak, 
not really able to feed itself or even taking care of itself with toilets. So the first few years of human life, maybe three years, maybe a little bit more, maybe even five years, is actually a stage where we learn to pick up these skills. So we learn to take what food, what food is safe, what food is not safe, how to express ourselves, how to start formulating relationship with our parents a little bit and, you know, kind of recognizing people so that we're no longer so scared of everyone. And we can actually differentiate between strangers and familiar people, even going to toilets, so on and so, uh, so, so forth. So then anything interesting, so to speak, interesting development can re only really come once these essential skills are established. So we can start having attachment bond and things like that from like three to five years onward up until, uh, let's say, early teenage years. Because I think teenage teenage year adolescence is more or less kind of an like experimental phase where you kind of start teasing about your independence. So prior to that, it's about your attachment. It's like, how do you form relationship? What is the pattern that you want to lay down? What's the behavior and how do you behave again externally and internally? So I think that's why it's so crucial about ACE, the adverse childhood experience, because that is the stage when if there's major or even minor disruption, then the pattern that laid down, like Colin was saying, I think then it becomes quite problematic. And to kind of not undo, but kind of lay down new pattern will take a long time. And we see that in addiction service a lot. I mean, drugs are amazing. I mean, the ones that we prescribe as replacement drugs like methadones and buprenorphine for um, opiates, for like heroin. Mm. But ultimately, they will not be the key. What we actually really, really need to do is kind of help the person to find a familiar um, environment and community where they get accepted, which is why like social um, community supports like AA group or NA group, necrotic anonymous is so important so that they have a like safe space where they can express themselves, see other people's struggles and talk about their own struggles and reflect onto it. But at the same time, like psychological intervention is so important. So it, it, the, the drugs, the, the, the things that we can give to replace things easy, actually that is just to get them so that their body feels stable ish but then the most important thing is this, how then we lay down the new pattern and that takes a lot of work I, I like what you just said there because in the later later chapters of the Bhagavad Gita talk about the same thing um every yogi is aware of this idea of tamas rajas and sattva um if you're not aware of this it, tamas is the idea so it's a it's a yogi idea of inertia um rigidity Staticness. Um, Rajas is about movement, um, about transformation, um, and Sattva is about clarity. It, it says that the way that our mind is made up is it's made up of all three of these that operate together on an ongoing basis. They constantly operate together. However, we get a predominance of one or the other at various different times. So when you want to go to sleep at night, you have more tamas in place there's an inertia in place helps you to sleep if you wake up in the night actually because of a dream there's a just red rajas pushing into the tamas to wake you up um why this becomes important is that we want to evolve ourselves so that our evolution when there is recreational drugs is that we're actually very tamasic there is a structure in place where we are tamasic in our behaviors and our activity so when we reach for a bottle of wine, when we reach to um, a, for a spliff, a joint, to have a, a high or a ping or to any different type of thing that we're coming to do, it's tamas. It's a tamasic approach. And why I like things like AA and NA um, is that they create a structure, a stability in order to move someone from one place to another place. And because this is what we're coming to do is we have to move from tamas, a tamasic state, to a rajasic state. Now, a tamasic state is where we want to, we think about, we want to think that one size fits for everyone. A rajasic state is that actually we look at people as individuals. And so we want to move from that one size fits all to actually we're an individual and we need to be an individual. And that's why I really like these programs, because they really help people a lot to be individuals. But they need a structure to work in. Some people can do it without being in a program, but they have a lot of strength and they have a lot of ability. And we want to move from that rajasic state to a sattvic state, a state of clarity. 
a state of stability, a state where we're supported by our structure and supported by all the things that we do in our life. So I have a question because um, I, I, I just I really liked what you were talking about with regard to birth. I wanted to ask about hereditary because I know numbers of people who I'm working with right now who parents were very involved in drug taking and have issues you know with recreational drugs and i actually see you know parents taking drugs recreational drugs or drugs recreationally with their children and, you know their children are sort of 20 24 years old you know the parents are doing it the children are doing it everyone's doing it is it a hereditary thing is there things like this going on is it okay for this to happen is it setting a good example is it bringing people together is it setting a bad example what do we think of this i like the fact that you use the word hereditary rather than genetic mm. hereditary kind of mean being passed down by generation and that's definitely that link in drug use now, rather or not, it's genetic, I don't know, because I don't think we have quite found the gen genes for addiction or, you know, affinity to drug use just yet. There are certain conditions or certain population are more predisposed to addiction and drug use, yes, but we haven't quite found the gene yet. And as always, I think it's always a um, kind of debate between nature and nurture, rather or not, it's something that's been passed down intrinsically and physically um, and or genetically or because the person or the offspring or the children has been ex more exposed into the environment of drug use, which makes it one more normal place, two, henceforth more acceptable and three, more curious, you know, to uh, to try. Um, I don't know. I, th I think most likely, just like most things, it's probably a mix of both. The hereditary passing down is both genetically something that's very, very deep and cannot be explained or sequenced just yet. And at the same time, it's kind of behavior that's been passed down. There is also uh, an opposite pattern sometimes is where there's a parents of uh, addicts and then the children actually strongly against and believe their belief system is strongly against drug use as well. So there's sometimes that effect as well that I've seen. Um, Rather or not, that's common. It's very difficult to be commented on because that also depends on like so things like social economic uh, economic groups, um, sometimes even ethnicity, where they are, uh, job situations, um, or even like global events like the pandemic and lockdown. Is my personal belief that most people probably drank more during the lockdown and pandemic because there's nothing better to do, um, quite literally. Um, drug use possibly i don't know I, we have to find some you know drug dealers to see if their business has gone up or not i i don't have that data at hand but maybe we can find something at some stage um but yeah so i think i think that's definitely something very hereditary about it does it mention anything about it in the text that you've explored in the past it, it looks at patterning so what the text do is they describe patterns it looks at patterns and choices of actions we come to do. So it says there's got to be a reason behind an action that we do. So there's got to be some kind of intention. And that intention is tainted. It's often tainted with a motivation, whether that motivation is an ambition, whether it is a desire, whether it is to connect with someone, to destroy ourselves, sabotage ourselves, there has to be something behind an action that we're doing. And because we create an action, there's a pattern and a route that we take. And it could be that what's happening is that it's because of an emotion or because we're looking to deal with something we want something or it could be that what we're doing is that we're looking to express ourselves or to get an insight into something about ourselves 
However, with every action, there is a consequence of that action. So like you mentioned with drinking coffee, there's a setup to this. There's an intention behind it. There is a, a reason. I want to digest my food, so I'm drinking coffee. I want to go for a bowel movement, so I drink coffee in the morning. I you know, want to get up because I feel very lethargic and heavy, so I drink coffee. So there's a reason. There's a motivation behind it. Then what happens is that that goes into the system and it means there's a consequence, a direct consequence to this. And there's a direct consequence we see. Woo I can run around the house and I can go out for work. Or there's a consequence we can't see, you know. And also there is an impression that's left. There's something that is left on us as well as part of this. It could be that what's happening is that impression is that, you know, it means that we don't sleep at night because we've had five coffees a day. It leaves something. There's something that is left as part of this. And for me, it's not just coffee. It's absolutely every single thing that we put into us follows these roots and follows these patterns. We're just a cycle again and again of these patterns and these roots of stuff that's moving through us and we're processing all of it and i think that if we're processing things like emotions and processing things like food and processing things like drugs and we're processing things like ideas we're processing and processing and processing these things these things we're taking them in we have to move them around we have to move them out of our system and even our thoughts and ideas can have an effect on us as can drugs have an effect on us. And so what I see is I see that actually we can complicate our lives by adding things like recreational drugs into it. This is my, this is my perception. It actually complicates things rather than simplifies things. And my belief is that we actually need to simplify things in our lives now. We actually really need to take pressure off ourselves rather than increase pressure on ourselves. I see that, like you said so beautifully, and I really like what you said, Stanford, is that actually we take drugs recreationally because we want stability. But I just see the effect as instability. I think that people wonder why they have anxiety, but yet they take drugs recreationally. I, I, it makes me a question. And personally, one of the things I love processing is information, which is clearly why we're doing this here tonight as well. And I think from my stance, I obviously with illicit and legal, you shouldn't do it. But I think we are we have our autonomy and we should be respected for our autonomy. The problem is we it, it should have been an informed decision of like what you're taking and what you're not taking. Mm -hmm. And I think the problem nowadays is the availability of drugs and the kind of casualness of a lot of these drugs that I find is problematic. I was on a social media handle the other day and an advert came up and literally was just saying, oh, do you want something that can help with the pain? Do you want something to make you feel lighter, happier, more relaxed? I was like, that sounds like a wonderful drug and also something slightly less legal. And I click into it, it's about CBD gummies. I was like, okay. My 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 assumption was kind of correct, and me and my partner was talking about it the other day. On the other hand, is electronic cigarettes, the vaping culture, where it, it kind of you know cigarettes, nicotine is is a strong drug. It really activates our sympathetic nervous system, and you should only really be I think eighteen is the legal age in UK to buy cigarettes. But vaping kind of blurs a lot of the lines and it can potentially expose a lot of much younger children or older adults to nicotine without thinking about it. And I think that is the issue where when when the availability increase, the associated amounts of information, like really good, clear information of what the drugs actually do to the body and mind. I think that is why we need to be even more cautious nowadays because there's just so much out there. And again, not just talking about e-cigarette, not just talking about legal highs and gummies. There are just so much out there everywhere. And working at addiction service over the last six months really opens my eyes of how many people take drugs. And it is really rather surprising. Mm -hmm. So, yeah.
So I would say if you want to try, if you are of age consenting adults, just kind of try to find out what you're doing before you do it. I think it will be my cautionary tale. And, and this, I would agree with you, it comes down to the purpose. You know, be really clear on the purpose. You know, if your purpose is for spiritual purpose, you need to have stability first. Otherwise, a drug increases the imbalances within the system. And that's the imbalances of patterns that you already have. So if you have insecurity, the drug will actually increase the pattern of insecurity. Whereas if the drug is taken in the right way, under the right guidance, in with the correct preparation, then it can do be transformative. So I agree with exactly what you're saying, Stanford. Really do. Thank you. It's really good to speak to you this evening. Um, I think, what, what are we going to look at next time we speak? We haven't quite decided yet, but we're floating the ideas of maybe happiness, maybe something else. We'll see. Okay. So maybe, maybe we can discuss happiness next time we meet. Fantastic. Have a good night, everyone. Goodbye. Thanks, guys.